Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 177 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for this interview episode where we track down the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail world so that we can share their secrets with you. This time around, I chat with Professor Brian Connors, who is at the helm of Bar Project 2021 at Florida International University and the Bacardi Center of Excellence. He's here to give us a crash course in what an education in the bar, restaurant, and hospitality sector has looked like traditionally, and how these types of career paths have been transformed by the pandemic. In this episode and on the show notes page, we're going to mention some free educational resources that are open to the public. So if you or someone you know have been toying with the idea of beginning your journey in hospitality or perhaps finding that degree or certification that will take your career to the next level, definitely stay tuned. But before we jump into all that, let's take a quick time out so that you can make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is Irish coffee. Perfect for this time of year. In fact, as I'm recording this, it's snowing like crazy here in DC, and I can't think of a single drink I'd rather have in front of me than a nice Irish coffee. To make it, you'll need four to five ounces of freshly brewed and piping hot coffee, one teaspoon or two small bar spoons of brown sugar, two ounces of your favorite Irish whiskey, and a generous dollop of lightly whipped heavy cream. Now, in the same way that a great cocktail bar is going to chill your glass before pouring a drink, we need to flip the script here and heat the glass up by pouring hot water into it while you get your ingredients ready. This is going to allow you to slowly sip and savor your Irish coffee without it getting cold as quickly. When you've got your ingredients ready, pitch the hot water, put your brown sugar in the bottom of the glass, add your Irish whiskey and coffee, then stir to dissolve the sugar. Once the drink is mixed, you're going to pour your lightly whipped heavy cream over a bar spoon so that it floats right on top of the drink. If you think about it, the Irish coffee is just a hotter, more diluted, and caffeinated take on the old-fashioned. Spirits? Check. Sugar? Check. Water? Check. Bitters? Well, that's where the coffee comes in. Later on, Brian gives us two big do's and two big don'ts for making the perfect Irish coffee, so be sure to stick around for the lightning round. When we're not talking about Irish coffee, some of the topics that Brian and I discuss in this wide-ranging conversation include his travels through the world of hospitality and education, including stints at Cornell and Johnson & Wales, time spent in Ireland and at Michelin star restaurants in France, and even a little bit of chef work on private yachts. How Brian thinks about generalists and specialists in the hospitality space and what you can do to apply your unique skill set to a bar or restaurant career. What Florida International University and Bacardi are doing to explore the new face of hospitality during a pandemic and prepare the next generation of chefs, bartenders, and managers for the challenges they'll face moving forward. Why Bar Project 2021 took a page out of the tech industry's playbook by incorporating a sort of hospitality hackathon into their program. 
where Brian and I think the industry is headed as we continue our march into 2021 and beyond, how to survive a drunken trip to Oaxaca with Hunter S. Thompson, and much, much more. My takeaway from this interview is a single word, passion. You'll hear it in 30 seconds as soon as Brian starts talking. He's so energized by what he does and by the opportunity to teach people new skills. So even if you have no intention of ever taking a hospitality class or getting a wine or spirits certification, I hope you can still draw some inspiration from the passion and creativity in this interview. With that, I'll step aside so that you can enjoy this timely yet evergreen discussion with Professor Brian Connors of FIU and the Bacardi Center of Excellence. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Eric. Great to be here. So we're going to have a great conversation here today about something we haven't really touched on the Modern Bar Cart podcast, which is uh, the hospitality education side of things and and all that that entails, uh, especially during a pandemic. So before we jump into that, can you just briefly introduce yourself for our listeners? Absolutely. My name is Brian Connors. I'm the director of the Bacardi Center of Excellence as well. Two titles, Eric, and the senior director of food and beverage innovation for the Chaplin School at Florida International University. Uh, we're one of the top rated hospitality schools and the second largest hospitality school in the United States. So uh, it's, a, it's a fun job that I have. So food and beverage innovation, I, I suppose you're working on like Star Trek replicators and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, it's uh, I like where you're going with that and I wish I could. But, uh, you know, the world of hospitality has changed so much uh, in the past you know, 11 months that we're now seeing some incredibly new innovations uh, between ghost kitchens and these type of things. But there's a whole new world of education uh, and people development that we really need to kind of take a deeper dive into. So very recently, uh, Dean Mike. Michael Chang, our fabulous dean, uh, tapped me and said, hey, you know, can you take on this secondary role? Because I'm kind of wired that way. Uh, I like to think a lot different and, and look for things that other people don't see. Uh, so we're really kind of this 2021 is going to be our year for great innovation, uh, as well as partnerships. Uh, we love doing partnerships with family companies, with corporate structures and that type of stuff. But uh, it's uh, it's going to be a hell of a year. I'll tell you that much. That's for sure. Um, so I want to talk uh, about FIU and Bar Project 2021, mm -hmm. of course, but uh, first, how did you get into teaching in the hospitality space and, and what was that journey like for you? Yeah, no, great question. You know, I, I like answering that question. Um, you know, like a lot of us in hospitality, I got into it incredibly young. Uh, I was about 14 years old and that was about 1988. And I got my first job as a dishwasher. Uh, and I realized and I said, ah, wait a minute, you know, uh, and I worked my way up from pep, prep cook to sous chef and so forth. I said, I can get paid to do this as well. Uh, and it was really kind of finding that other outlet in this whole other world. It's like literally looking behind the curtains uh, that uh, kind of took off for me on that one. So I, you know, went to culinary school first and realized that there was more to the world than just behind a, or being kind of chained to a, uh, a range or on the line. And I, I again, love that look at the dining room and interacting with guests in the dining room. So I decided to continue on on the people side and had the opportunity to go to school in upstate New York at Cornell University. Uh, and uh, th But the ironic part about that, Eric, is up there. I was trying to kind of ease my way out of that back of the house, Brian. And uh, that's where I met my chef, Brian Halloran, up there, and he wanted nothing to do with that. He says, come on, kid, you're doing it. So uh, they luckily um, dragged me back into the kitchen up at Cornell, where I was a teaching uh, sous chef for Brian Halloran, uh, as well as a teaching assistant up there. And I think that's also where I got the, the teaching book. Uh, I was up there in the Ithaca, in the cold, cold Ithaca, New York, up that way. 
yeah, they, they say it's gorgeous, right? Uh, oh, it's 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 something. All right, only go during the summertime. The rest of the time, you don't have to anymore. If you did, uh, I did three and a half years up there, and I remember there was still uh, ice and snow on the lake in April. I'm like, what is going on up here? But it is, uh, you know, all kidding aside, it's an absolutely breathtaking part of the world uh, with a great culture of food and wine up there and everything else. So I absolutely love it. Uh, but uh, you know, that's kind of where. Um, my journey began in the front of the house, the back of the house, also on the beverage side, uh, started training as a sommelier and that type of stuff as well. And, you know, after uh, about seven or eight years in very high volume, uh, very, very busy restaurants in Newport, Rhode Island, um, and uh, as well as a few stints on yachts as a yacht chef, I said, wait a minute, there's there's more to it. But I think, you know, and I'll, I'll kind of tie this in for you, too, up at Cornell, you know, where I got that teaching bug, as I call it, uh, being a teaching assistant. That's where I saw there was there was more to it. Uh, and I love that connection and developing people and uh, as a glutton for punishment. Uh, I started teaching part time uh, up actually in Boston uh, at the Cambridge School of Culinary Arts as an adjunct at a very young age. Uh, and that's kind of where it all took off from there. Uh, but uh, smartened up, went to graduate school and uh, put on the consulting hat as well as the, the kind of professor role. But uh, I've spent the last 15 years in higher education, but as well, uh, as I like to say, and I, I don't know how many more years I can say this, Eric, but I'm a young faculty or I consider myself a young faculty member. Uh, so I've always been involved with industry and consulting as well. And I think it's great because in the consultancy world, you're able to bring that back into the classroom. And by no means, uh, I'm not a textbook teacher and I will never be a textbook teacher. I am a real life, this is what just happened, this is what's going on, experiential based educator. Uh, so the consulting world has always been fantastic because consulting for cruise industries, restaurants, uh, resorts in the Caribbean, as well as the mega yacht industry, uh, has really kind of brought me uh, full circle in the classroom. Uh, and in the classroom, you know, the areas that I really uh, enjoy teaching, obviously the beverage side, uh, but on the wine side, the beer side, the spirit side, uh, because my culinary chops, uh, every once in a while, I still love to teach culinary. Uh, it's kind of using the other side of my brain. But I spent probably the most amount of time teaching strategic marketing, as well as strategic planning uh, or strategic management to upper level, senior level classes, and then operational based courses where I probably spent a tremendous amount of time with restaurant development, concept development, and taking young minds to think again to what's the new and what's going to be the next concept of the future. So uh, before you knew it, you know, 15 years passed by uh, and I went, holy cow. Uh, and now I'm off onto this new uh, adventure uh, with FIU and the Bacardi Center and, and food and beverage innovation. Yeah, well, that's a that's a lot. That's a that's a jam packed uh, <laughs> sort of a jam packed resume. And, and uh, like you said, a lot of hats and. I think that's something to to pause and think about a little bit because I, I know at least the way that I was thinking about culinary education, um, having met people who have attended uh, places like Johnson and Wales, the Culinary mm -hmm. Institute of America, uh, the other CIA, as as we like to say, True. Um, they tend to be or at least resemble specialists right when you walk into a kitchen like you like you mentioned there's a dishwasher well, the dishwasher is not on the line the dishwasher is washing the dishes the the prep cook is doing the prep the prep cook is not choosing the wines the sommelier is choosing the wines but is not doing all this other stuff and so it's just interesting to look at you and, and look at what you've done as more of the wearer of many hats, the generalist, the person who's uh, sort of taking the the wider view of things and and put that in in contrast to the way that most people think about 
I guess, the hospitality industry as being a fairly siloed, fairly specialist-driven industry. How do you think about generalism versus specialization in hospitality? Yeah, great question again. And for many, many years, I've always considered myself uh, the epitome of a generalist. You know, I was able to kind of go across. Now, you know, I was able to pick up a lot of expertise in a lot of areas, particularly uh, beverage, beverage, beverage education, uh, wine, wine education, and, and finding this niche. But I think being that generalist uh, also then turned me into an expert uh, because where that came into play, particularly in the world of developing people in education, uh, is that I was able then to kind of do all these amazing crossovers and pull from these different areas. Now, I think of even like, you know, a marketing class or strategic management class where I have students that could be, yes, very much maybe want to go down that food and beverage role, but we also have students that love mega events. Like we do a lot of these down here in South Florida where I'm based, uh, hopefully soon again. Uh, but at the same time, being able to kind of pull from my experiences, pull from work I've done with clients, uh, friends and family and everything else, but at the same time, adding those new layers to the classroom and creating a different experience for the students. You know, I'm a big believer in storytelling. Uh, and I, as you could probably imagine, I got some great stories. And, you know, it's a lot of times, you know, the students don't always remember exactly, you know, what that, you know, what was going on, but they remember the story. And I won't bore you too much with that. And that's a lot of times where I'll run into uh, students I've had the opportunity to develop. They're like, oh my God, Connors. And I go by my last name at school. And they go, oh my God, Connors, I remember that story you told. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. But a lot of times that's really what resonates. And having this kind of very um, diverse background uh, has really kind of treated me well, uh, particularly in the space of education and also in the world of the consultancy because uh, I'm able to figure a lot of things out uh, faster um, mm -hmm. and bring those experiences, as I said earlier, back to the classroom. And that's probably one, one of the most rewarding things. You know, it's, trust me, you know, a couple of years ago when I was doing a lot of work for the cruise industry uh, and I'd be on airplanes uh, and ships every week from somewhere in the Caribbean. I know it sounds awful, but it's a lot, you know, you don't <laughs> stop, you know. Um, and then in the summertime in the, Medi in the Mediterranean, the Baltic and Alaska, but I would just be constantly moving. And by the time, particularly during the academic year, I'd be down in the Caribbean and fly back. The students, the first thing they would ask me, like, oh, my God, Connors, where were you? I was like, well, I was in St. Thomas. And then I had to go to They're like, oh, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm working the whole time. I was actually training 265 sommeliers around the world. So it was, you know, wearing both those hats. Uh, but wearing both of those hats at the end of the day, uh, I have no regrets because it made me uh, a heck of a uh, different and creative educator. But I hopefully have also made a, a good amount of impact on, on students and individuals. Sure. You know, it kind of reminds me of the Amazon warehouse model where um, the inventory is sort of randomly distributed and uh, it ends up being more efficient to have sort of like this diverse, um, a, a more of a diverse warehouse. And the warehouse in this case is your brain, your yeah. skill set. Uh, and you end up, yeah, I, I can see how that would be an asset. Um, I like that analogy. I might steal that one from you. My, my oh. line I used to say is I teach everything but accounting. Uh, <laughs> but I like the Amazon approach. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Take it. It's yours. Um, so <laughs> I wanted to just give people uh, a sense of, let, let, let's do a quick thought experiment here. Let's assume that uh, my listeners are maybe not so much young people, but maybe my listeners know some young people who might have shown some interest or demonstrated some interest in going into the culinary world or the hospitality world. Um, what is the, I guess, 
standard, perhaps traditional way that one would do that via venues of higher education, like the one that you teach at and, and the, um, the venues that, that you attended as you were getting your certifications mm -hmm. and degrees, how, how does that generally go? And are there less traditional ways to do it? Oh, I guess? absolutely. You know, and you know, back to the future, um, back in, you know, 1990, when I had to make a decision to go to culinary school, as you said earlier, you had two choices. You had Johnson & Wales or CIA. Believe it or not, I actually lived closer to CIA. Uh, and the Culinary Institute of America is a great program. Uh, they do a fabulous job. As a matter of fact, they still do a fabulous job. Uh, Johnson & Wales was a little bit farther away in Providence. Um, you and I both grew up in that area. But uh, the chef I was working for at the time, guess where he went? He went to Johnson & Wales. He put me in the car and said, let's go, kid. Uh, and that was the real kind of catalyst to that. But that was, you know, again, you know, 20 somewhat years ago, um, you know, 30 years ago now. So things have changed the whole heck of a lot, you know. And when I decided to continue on with my education, I was getting great positive pressure from uh, my parents um, and then obviously from individuals I work with to, to continue on with my education and broaden my horizon and, you know, it wasn't just all about the culinary side. But I think you have a great question there, particularly for people that are thinking about or know somebody that's interested in. And a nice way to put that these days is where is it going to be a good fit for the learner? All right. Things have changed so much and we'll talk about that. But where is it going to be a good fit for the learner? You know, both uh, the Culinary Institute of America and Johnson and & Wales, and this is very much my opinion, Eric, they're the two still top programs uh, in the country. There's a lot of other uh, programs out there and I'm sure they do a good job. But if you think about it, those are the two primary big functions. If that's your goal to really take that deep dive and learn that trade, that culinary trade, absolutely. But be prepared. Be prepared because, you know, when I did it, it's changed a little bit. It was very more military, you know, military-esque. You know, I would never be able to get away with the, the scruff I have or the scruff you have on now, that type of stuff. But there was a system and an approach. But the world of culinary edu education has changed. Uh, there's a lot of other opportunities out there. Uh, there's now 100% online platforms uh, that if that's how that individual learns, it might be useful to them. On the hospitality side, it's almost identical. It's got to be where that fit is. And, and I'll give you a, a few good examples here. You know, um, you know, my beloved uh, Cornell University uh, in cold, cold Ithaca, New York, you know, I was one of the last Mohicans, you know, I was one of those last operational guys. I had the good fortune of working in Europe before I attended Cornell. I was at Michelin star restaurants and, and you know, really kind of sharpening my uh, pun intended uh, skills. But at the same time, there wasn't many uh, left of me. There was maybe two guys from CIA, two of us from Johnson & Wales, one or two from Paul Smith, and that was really about it. Um, and they've definitely changed um, either which way you look at it. They, they've, they've kind of definitely developed with the times, where these days the fit is more on the, the real estate side, uh, the fit is more on the financial side and so forth, not so much on the operational side. Do they still offer some of those courses? Absolutely. But I think one of the keys there is if it's a fit and you're really that kind of entrepreneurial business-minded Perfect. Great. Where, you know, other programs, UNLV out in Las Vegas, they do a phenomenal job. Uh, you know, University of Houston does. A, there's so many uh, right now that do a great job that I, if I started naming them all. I'd feel bad because I have friends and colleagues that teach it most of them as well. But, you know, a great example is also um, my school uh, at FIU Chaplain School, you know, where we are definitely um, 
food and beverage centric, uh, which is good, uh, obviously with our namesake also connected to uh, Chaplin family, which is Southern Wine and Spirits, uh, the South Beach Food and Wine Festival, all the amazing partnerships we have, obviously Bacardi with Bacardi Center of Excellence, but you know, we're good at it. And that's, you know, where we kind of hang our hat. Events, we're good at it. These are things that we kind of really uh, get behind. The beverage education side, again, we've had a legendary wine education program for many, many years created by the late Chip Cassidy, who did an amazing job. And we're now in that stage now where we're redeveloping, rethinking all these things and how we move forward. So the long-winded answer is where is it going to be the best fit for you? And, you know, anyone that's interested or friends and family that are interested, you know, it's go visit the school. You know, if they're any time they can, and even these days, if it's via Zoom, sit in on a class. Uh, most institutions will say, absolutely, you know, and I've always encouraged that. I go, go sit in on a class and make sure that's a good fit for you. Um, because again, it's not for everybody, but the people that do get that bug, whoa, you know, they get the hospitality gene in them, look out because there's no stopping them on that. But I think that we're going to see a lot of change. Uh, in hospitality education. Uh, it's going to be a faster process. There's going to be more certifications out there. Uh, people that will then kind of take that step one, their bachelor's, step two into their master's uh, is going to be very much commonplace uh, as we move forward. And there's some great, uh, absolutely great programs out there in the U.S. market and internationally. But of course, I'm biased, Eric, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of follow-ups to that before we start talking about where the hospitality education industry is heading. Um, mm -hmm. One follow-up would just be to say that, you know, I, I have a certification from the WSET, the Wine and Spirits Education Trust. Uh, you know, you just mentioned certifications. I think that's a great and pretty low cost, low stakes way to, to get your feet wet a little bit. Uh, I only have my intermediate certification in uh, um, wines and spirits, but that was enough to sort of get me started on my, on my journey and uh, allow me to begin educating myself. Uh, and it was great when I, you know, happened to visit Burgundy and actually knew what the heck I was talking about. So, um, and then the, the other kind of question is, should people be thinking about getting a degree in from a hospitality school as opposed to just working their way up through a kitchen and entering it that way? Is that sort of like going to West Point and entering the army as an officer already versus just kind of working your way through the ranks? Is that is that even somewhat fitting or am I getting it wrong? No, you're on a roll with your analogies. And, you know, a lot of times that's what people think. Uh, but like any um, career path, you know, um, you start at the bottom and work your way up. But where a proper uh, hospitality education or even culinary education gives you is a you have a basic set of skills or in some cases an advanced set of skills that, you know, if the chef says to you, uh, Eric, go, I need uh, five five pounds of maripois, you don't have to ask chef and say, okay, what is that? You know exactly what it is. Or, you know, from the management leadership side of reading a PL statement or understanding the basics of marketing and that type of stuff. So it's always going to give you an upper hand of what's going to create you. But, you know, is it going to give you that, in, in a lot of cases, you know, the firsthand knowledge of, you know, working big festivals, internships and that type of stuff. So it does work. Um, but it's like anything, you know, it's what you put into it 
is literally what you get out of it. And I'm a firm believer in that. You know, when I was in culinary, I had the opportunity to, to go travel and work in Europe. I said, yep, right away. Lived in Ireland as a very young man and worked my way up through kitchens there. Again, uh, right place, right time. But I said, yes, I'll do it. Or volunteering and taking advantage of all the things that went on. Just always gain more experience, put you to that next place. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, and it's and it's not for everybody. Because there are some individuals that, you know, love to do the hands-on, the kinesthetic approach and, and start in the back of the house. And then I'm glad you brought up certifications. Then they realize, well, wait a minute, I need more. I don't really understand everything I need to know about this profit and loss statement and what have you, which is, is critical in today's business models. But at the same time, you know, that's where we're going to see an even higher education, um, a lot more certifications that are going to be brought to you by, um, you know, well, well-known, well-established institutions, because we understand that, that not everyone has the time, the capital, uh, all that type of stuff where, and I agree with you, you know, the, the we set certification, or you're going to be through the quartermaster sommeliers, you're going to be through the society of wine educators, whoever it's going to be, these are great places. And a matter of fact, even at the chaplain school, our courses actually teach too. So, for example, you know, in our spirits courses, uh, we offer um, them to use the textbook, which is the Certified Spirit Specialist by the, by the uh, Society of Wine Educators. And remember, that's a self-driven, so they can sign up. And, and so we prepare them for that, use the textbook and compare for it. Because students these days, who heck everybody, the resume ability of something is crucial. So we want to be able that, you know, they always kind of look at my business card and like, Connors, what's all that alphabet soup, as I call it, behind yeah, in higher education, I have to have those certifications. But at the same time, I go, guys, if you took, let's say, the certified specialist of wine, and I see that on your resume, and I took that test too, I know you know your stuff. Uh, I know that you studied. I know it's a hard test. You know, you're exactly, you know, everyone always even remembers their score in that test. Or same thing going through the quartermaster sommeliers when you start at the intro and go to certified SOM to advanced SOM or any of my friends that are master SOMs out there. They had the hustle to get that, but it shows a commitment and also gives you that instant credibility. So there's a there's going to be a lot to set for that. Uh, and you're going to see, again, a lot more institutions offering them in a specialty area. Right, right. I love that instant credibility because that's exactly what it is. Uh, as somebody who uh, has a lot of experience reading over resumes and stuff like that, it, it's uh, you know, it's it's not a lie to say that when someone reviews a resume, they only spend about thirty seconds looking at it. I could mm-hmm. I could hold a resume out at arm's length and give it a letter grade without even reading a single word on it. So uh, yeah, having those highlights is is really important, and it's not going to get less important. So. Um, Getting on with where we stand today uh, and where we might be headed, I, I think this would be a great time for you to talk a little bit about Bar Project 2021 mm-hmm. and some of the things that are going on at FIU as the beverage world and the hospitality world are reeling and desperately attempting to pivot uh, based on what's going on right now with the virus. Yeah, perfect. You know, uh, about a year or so ago, uh, we joined into a partnership with Bacardi North America, uh, with FIU. They were very generous, uh, and they gave us $5 million to really go in and create the uh, Bacardi Center of Excellence, which also includes the Spirits Management Track, where we offer spirits driven courses, as well as beverage law, beverage marketing, and so forth. And this is one of our pillars uh, in our beverage management program, as well as wine, spirits, uh, and beer. Uh, And we're actually adding coffee as well to that, coffee and non-alcoholic, but that's a different show altogether. 
but uh, we launched the Bacardi Center of Excellence uh, again last January. Uh, and then uh, as we were developing and getting our strategic plan in place, hey, we all know what happened, but uh, we did not sit down. We did not wait for things to blow over. We quickly launched Bacardi Teach, uh, which is our online learning platform available to everyone. If you just Google Bacardi Teach or BacardiTeach.com. Uh, and that has learning modules and we're continually adding new modules on there. These are video-based modules and you can earn badges. And the idea here was too, that we're able to help our industry uh, individuals that want to upskill. Uh, we have brand centric. We're going to be developing and launching uh, bar methods, better bar methods coming up soon. So this is very much driven for those individuals that might be a um, aspiring bartender, but also for enthusiasts because we open this to everybody. And this is our goal was to give this opportunity for people to learn, earn badges, which is an online uh, credential. Uh, it's, it's not official, but it's, it's one meaning it's not for credit. And I have to justify those because there are FIU badges that are for credit. Uh, these are from Bacardi Center of Excellence. Oh, and a little, we will have uh, FIU badges as we move forward. It just takes a little bit more time as you can imagine. But one of the initiatives uh, that was challenged to myself and a the team was um, the Bacardi Innovation. You know, what are we going to do to innovate? And this was even before the pandemic. But due to the pandemic, we got together, uh, teamed up with a great think tank group out of New York called Alley, and we created Bar Project 2021. Now, this is a whole new world of education. Uh, we've been mostly in Zoom classes, or we call them hybrid classes. At some cases, we do have taste and components with social distancing and that stuff. But slowly but surely down here in South Florida, we're able to slowly open up uh, using the proper safety margin. But for the most part, we're teaching uh, remotely and we're teaching virtually. That's where it gave us this idea that if you do it right and you really engage today's learners, this is where you can make a huge difference. So when we brainstormed this, oh, probably right around last March and April, and we're happily launching it this Wednesday, as a matter of fact, with Bar Project 21, uh, it's really about reimagining, kind of resetting uh, and rethinking uh, how we do things. Think about it, you know, I know we're going to be talking about trends in a little bit, but how the, the threshold, if you will, is changing because of to-go cocktails. But now this is also goes even beyond just uh, at the bar, the beverage side. We're looking at hospitality as a whole from to-go, to-go kitchens and, and ghost kitchens and all these things that are out there. So we are tapping into industry which is fantastic. Uh, and we've had some great partners from everybody from Nomad and, and Levin Madison to the guys over at Bar Lab, uh, Gabe and those guys are joining us, as well as well-known chefs. This week, we're going to be joined by uh, Andrew Zimmer. Uh, he's going to be one of our keynote speakers and some other top-notch chefs that are joining us, as well as beverage professionals. Because of our amazing partnership with Bacardi North America, they gave us you know, access to the, think, the, the wonderful think tank team they have in Jacksonville about sustainability and packaging, how we're looking at things differently. Uh, Heidi Vargas, the vice president of on-premise, is also joining us. She's going to be talking a little bit about the female role with women in hospitality leadership. So, you know, we're really cranking on all cylinders. And the best part about it, and I know this is going to kind of weave right into our previous conversation about hospitality education, is that this is 85% on demand. Picture the Netflix, the uh, Amazon Prime, right, model, because the student can grab their phone, they can engage at any time. Yes, we will have live fireside chats and ways for them to engage and use questions just as they do on Zoom or even the uh, online chat stuff. But we realize that time is the ultimate commodity. 
that are today's learners, you know, that are working. And down here in South Florida, things are a little bit more open. We have outdoor dining. So we do have a good amount of students that work. They might be engaged at two o'clock in the morning when they're getting home from work, not that traditional, you know, 9 a.m. lecture. Oh, God, no, it's really now all about um, on-demand learning. It's, it's on their time. It's not on our time anymore. And the better yet that we're engaging with so many industry experts uh, from across the board, from the wine side, from the beverage side, from the culinary side, the operations side, all that stuff that, that gives them that big diverse window to kind of look at it and say, oh, this is what I want to do. So by taking these, they earn um, – FIU uh, badges uh, for this one as well. This is, again, this is the newer thing. So it's able to be social media and so on and so forth. But if they choose uh, and they apply, they actually can um, enter a challenge, you know, kind of almost like a hackathon, but it's going to be a challenge where they have their ideas. There'll be five teams of four, all competing for scholarships uh, brought to us by the Bacardi North America group. But, you know, what an amazing way. And then we'll have industry judges, again, from across the board. I think my friend Sabato Sagaria is going to be joining. I mean, you got some really uh, impactful. And I love it this is amazing about this project is that almost everyone uh, considering there's a few time constraints that we've asked they said yes everyone wants to give back everyone wants to see how we are going to reimagine rethink and reset our industry because what a better way than tap into the minds of that next generation of hospitality leaders to say hey you know what what's it going to be are we going to push them in the right direction absolutely but most of the time they're coming up with the ideas and that's what we're going to harness yeah well, that is that's a lot. It's a um, bar project. Twenty twenty one is is certainly a, sort of a ambitious undertaking, and it's great that you've had um, all the support that you've had from the industry. As you mentioned, um, Andrew Zimmern, uh, I sort of have never forgiven him for eating that puffin that one time, but uh, <laughs> but otherwise he seems to have a pretty good track record. Uh, and and uh, also, I, I, I like the I like that you're emphasizing on demand, but also building in the the mm -hmm. live fireside chat components because uh, you know one of the things that I think a lot of people are missing out on right now is is feeling like they are part of a community in the education process. Right, most universities and colleges are still doing remote, so it's like, well, if I'm sitting here in my bedroom or wherever, like, am I really? at college? Am I really a college student or am I a bedroom student? So there's, there's something nice about uh, building in the live aspect. And then uh, I'm particularly interested to, to maybe talk a little bit more about the different categories in the the bar challenge um mm -hmm. uh the, that you described as sort of a hackathon so basically the way i understand it is that you have these different kind of verticals or categories or topics that will be increasingly important moving forward and, and as um the the future of the hospitality industry be, begins to evolve and the students can choose to basically get on a team within that vertical or category and work on putting together some sort of project that advances the way we think or act in that vertical. So can, can you just give us some specific examples and, and uh, describe that in a little bit more depth? Absolutely. You know, so this week we are doing our, our launch. Uh, we'll be doing a, a panel with yours truly. Uh, the dean's going to be joining us. Heidi, who I mentioned, will be joining us. And then uh, Chef Zimmer is going to be closing us out. But then we're moving into the guest experience. So 
actually uh, Leo uh, Rapovic from Nomad and from 11 Madison. I have not met him, but he's one of those guys that said, absolutely, I'll do it. We're like, great. He's going to be talking about uh, the guest experience. Now, this is just one example because the guest interface, the guest experience has changed a whole heck of a lot, you know, depending upon what city you're in and whatnot. But we're going to look at that kind of, again, dissect it to rebuild it where the students will say, okay, well, what's going to be the new normal? So if they decide that that's an area they want to specialize in, they can take a deeper dive where we're also going to be Looking at the sustainability side, as I mentioned earlier, the team from the Jacksonville office from Bacardi uh, that have been the inventing side between the new packaging and that type of stuff. Are we looking at what does the world of to-go beverages look like now? Are those laws going to be changing? How are they going to be impacting our industry? Because let's face it, a, a lot of our operators out there have survived with to-go. Uh, and is that going to be sticking around? How are we going to make that a better experience for our guests, a more profitable um, operation for the, the operator itself? There's a lot of these things that are kind of really going to be kind of tagged along. And then, of course, you know, diversity and inclusion, uh, tapping into that. Our students these days have an even better understanding uh, than most generations because they're living it, they understand it, and they have a high level of empathy. Uh, and that empathy is a lot different than before. So we're going to be tapping again, into industry experts that will share their experiences, share with their knowledge, and perhaps they're looking at a new hiring model. Perhaps they're looking at a new recruiting model. So it's not just going to be about putting that drink over the bar or getting that hot food out of the kitchen. We're looking at the whole. We're looking at from the guest experience, from the guest design. What are these? I mean, we're all using barcodes now. You know what I mean? And, you know, how is that going to be changing up as we move forward? So I'm really excited, as you can probably tell, because there's so many opportunities for us to tap into uh, the creativity uh, of our students' minds. And I think, you know, by partnering up uh, with industry, that's going to go a heck of a long way. And, you know, just like our certifications, when we're bringing the, the real McCoy right, uh, into the classroom, it just works. You know, they can listen to professionals like me and so forth, but it's the different voice. It's the different idea. It's the different experience that the students will be hearing from. Uh, and that's what we're really looking forward to as well. And the cool part about um, the Bar Project 2021, it's an evergreen project. And we named it Bar Project 2021 because we'll be moving into Bar Project 2022, 2023, 2024, because each year, we're going to be looking at what the new challenges lie before us. How are we going to help industry? How are we going to give back? And again, rethink and imagine because, you know, a couple of years ago, I'm sure you and I could have predicted uh, things a lot easier, but I'm not touching that one anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's for sure. Uh, you know, it, it kind of reminds me like a, like almost a fusion mashup between like what a traditional hospitality education would be. And then what, more of a tales of the cocktail model would look yes. like, for example, where you're bringing people together and you're offering these seminars and you're offering sort sort of these um, timely timely topics um, that get refreshed every year as those topics continue to evolve. Uh, and like tales of the cocktail, uh, obviously you're you're opening this to enthusiasts as well, not just people who uh, have chosen to be a professional in, in the hospitality industry. So uh, to the extent that those people who are listening right now on the enthusiast side would like to take part in Bar Project 2021 or, or maybe just casually spectate from a distance, uh, how would they do that? Of course, we're going to have links and information over on the show notes page, but 
could you just walk us through like what's the easiest way to start just digging into this content because this episode is going to drop the day after it launches it sounds fantastic like. fantastic well obviously you can go to a uh, barproject2021.com but you know we, we did get that a, a good amount of questions because it is open to FIU students and FIU students outside of the chaplain school which is our hospitality school because we wanted to get students from the business side the engineer we want other ideas we want other ways of thinking but at the same time we want to be able to give back um, to the community uh, and that includes our uh, beverage cocktail enthusiasts so uh, with a little bit of time and editing uh, we're going to be then dropping um, all of these fireside chats uh, these individual seminars um, onto Bacardi Teach uh, we'll be able to click on it enjoy it check it all out now they can't take place in the hackathon because again this is going to be for student driven but you know I'll be very honest you know I want to see how that goes and if we get a, a great response um, we can see this kind of again opening up uh, to industry professionals to enthusiasts because again if we start getting great ideas you know you always got to beta test something so this is our beta test but uh you know we do get a lot of requests for that so always keep an eye on bacardi teach as well because that's going to be our platform for putting stuff out but uh, again you know we're going to be able to capture all this and by capturing it all uh, we'll be able to share it yeah yeah i like the idea of the beta test and uh you know i i think i i think you're gonna have some some really stunning results to be honest uh i, I like what you were saying earlier about uh, some of the opportunities posed by the new generation of people who are coming into the hospitality landscape. You know, it's it's not it's a different world now. You can't you can't be a chef who throws a frying pan at a at somebody who no. screws up anymore. And I'm sure you no, saw no, plenty no. of that. <laughs> no, I have um, frying pan. Well, I didn't screw up though, man. So I don't know. But no, <laughs> I might have seen it, but no, yeah. Or just the the, the you know. I have great stories, as I told you, and that's for a different show, but doing my time in Europe and Michelin stars, I saw all that firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it seems like, it seems like the, the students coming into bar project 2021 are the ones who are bringing the, the, the raw energy and, and, uh, the guests and the, the topic driven discussions and, uh, curricula are going to be channeling that energy uh, and trying to use it to solve some of the problems that we have here in front of us. So as I mentioned, we're going to have links, uh, all over the show notes page to Bacardi teach. We're going to, um, make sure that, uh, that is a place where our listeners can go to find a kind of just click through a list of links and, and learn everything they need to about bar project 2021. Um, but I, I wanted to see if we could wrap up the interview portion of this here. By, by maybe talking a little bit about what the future of hospitality might look look like, and I know you said that you're not in the in the in the space of making uh, any specific projections right now, but I do think we can have a, a high level conversation. And I'll start it off by saying, you know, if you gun to my head, uh, I I think there's going to be sort of two impulses or trends in the industry as as we begin to open back up here. And I've, I've said this on the podcast before, but I'd be curious to get your take on it. My my thinking is you've mentioned this word, the new normal, right? Uh, or just uh, the word normal, the return to normalcy, we might say, uh, which was ironically uh, exactly 100 years ago, Warren G. Harding's campaign slogan following the Spanish flu. So there's a, a bit of an eerie historical hmm. uh, resonance to this idea of returning to normal. And you might you might get the sense that I'm a little bit skeptical of it, which I am, uh, because I think that there's basically going to be those institutions who uh, were well capitalized enough and, and sort of 
culturally important and entrenched enough to survive the pandemic based on their reputation and just how much volume they did pre-pandemic. And I think those places are going to generally fall into that return to normal because they invested pretty heavily in what normal was leading up to the pandemic. And then I think there's going to be newer places that are that are really emphasizing how normal is going to be different and uh, are really going to try and take some responsibility for what that looks like. So I think those are going to be the two um, like rallying cries that we're going to hear in, in the future. Um, and I, I, I don't know exactly where the chips are going to fall. I don't know who's going to win that shouting match, um, but I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and a very, very um, everyday conversations that I have with people, you know, the bank account survivors um, in our segment are always going to be there. Uh, and it's interesting because a lot of the multi-unit, uh, a lot of those brands that, you know, the Darden group would do an amazing job, but they also now have a higher level of trust, uh, the perception of trust with guests. And we've seen them do a quick little spike. But one of the most interesting things, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote my, my dear friend and, and mentor, Dr. Chris Muller, uh, formerly at BU and Cornell, and now teaches with us at uh, FIU. He says, we're going to be seeing an amazing green shoots movement. And the analogy that Dr. Muller used, which is, I think, right on, after a forest fire takes place, um, it, it takes a little while for things to grow back. But what you have is all these amazing green shoots uh, that pop up and start to flourish. And particularly in the restaurant segment, this is what we're going to be seeing where we're going to see a whole new wave of creativity. Uh, we're going to see a whole new wave of how we actually interact uh, with our dining experiences. I mean, will the Liberta Dan's, uh, will the Thomas Keller's, uh, will they survive? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I think the French Laundry is fabulous. I think Eric Roper at Liberta Dan is fabulous. Daniel, all those guys, they're great. And I'm going to look forward to going back to visit them someday. But it's those, the everyday restaurants are the ones we got to worry about. And I think Dr. Muller has a great point there. So uh, Chris, you're welcome that he's right on the green shoots because people are gonna double down on that new one because we're gonna be looking at these other um, side of the industry. I think Reef Technology and Reef Kitchens with their neighborhood kitchens are also gonna be doing amazing things because they've teamed up with the David Changs. They're teaming up with other well-known restaurateurs and bringing that directly to your doorstep fast. Uh, and you're going to have a David Chang experience in 30 minutes at your doorstep in most major cities. That's pretty incredible. So I think when we're looking at how things are being produced, delivered, and consumed, right, things are definitely going to be changing with that one. And I think from my end, uh, as a hospitality educator, as well as, you know, I still have that entrepreneurial bug in me is that we got to create uh, the next best generation for that as far as are they skilled enough to be able to jump into any kitchen, to operate any platform when it comes to technology, to look at a PL a lot differently uh, than you and I or maybe were taught in the past. Uh, or we're looking at how our social media impacts our business making decisions. That's crucial. The strategic planning models have changed so much. You know, in the past 11 months, it can make your head spin. You know, I don't know about you, but I've taught or taken so many strategic classes. And, you know, my mom's another one wired like me. She goes, no, no one saw this one coming. But now it's how, how are we going to react? And I think that green shoots is right on point. Yeah, I, I like that idea. I, t I tend to be sympathetic to the idea of creative destruction uh, uh, or, you know, we, we might say uh, unplanned for disruption. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I, I, I tend to, I tend to enjoy that. I, I, I have a problem with authority and generally like it when, when things get shaken up. Um, so, so yeah, I think ultimately, uh, there's still a lot very much up in the air and, uh, I, I am, I think as excited as you are to see some of these innovations that come through. I mean, even before the pandemic hit, we saw some tremendous, uh, disaster relief, efforts via Jose Andres, who's uh, in many, amazing. In, amazing. just based here in DC, at least partially. And, uh, and uh, yeah, there's, there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of cool new innovations coming out. So, so we're maybe, maybe we'll have to do a, a part two here in a couple of years and, and uh, see what actually shook out. Maybe talk about some of the findings from Arch Project 2021. Yeah, and, absolutely. It'll probably be less than a year, my friend. <laughs> probably about six months. We're going to have to quickly change gears again. Yeah, and it's going to feel like three years. So, um, <laughs> very true. Uh, anything before we before we jump into lightning round questions here? Is there anything else that uh, that we glossed over that you want to make sure our listeners uh, understand about Bar Project Twenty Twenty One or FIU's program? Yeah, you know, I'm just looking forward to launching it this week. It's been a, a lot of planning, a lot of development, uh, a lot of ideas coming to and fro. And as I said earlier, you know, this first quick beta test we're going to do. I'm uh, looking forward to the results that we're going to get. Uh, and take them and grow with it, you know, and put it out there for everyone to kind of uh, learn from and whatnot. But, uh, you know, we're just getting started, uh, particularly with the Bacardi Center of Excellence, particularly with our food and beverage innovation. Um, I think that uh, this is putting us as an institution into an interesting space that the traditional hospitality education model is dead. And now we're in the rebuild it business uh, and we're going to rebuild it faster better than before uh, you can kind of tell i'm the ever-ending optimist but it's true you know and there's nothing wrong with hustling you hustle you put it out there it doesn't work get down wipe off keep going uh, and that's what we're doing great well that was a lot of cliches in one time <laughs> hey but you know what they're they're still around for a reason they they work um all right with that said, let's jump into the lightning round. First question, what's your favorite cocktail? And if you don't have a favorite cocktail of all time, what's something that you've maybe been more recently obsessed with? Uh, I'm always obsessed with creativity and some of the stuff that uh, particularly mixologists and bartenders are doing out there. Favorite cocktail of all time, I know this is gonna be a, a softball here, an Irish coffee. If you can do an Irish coffee and do it well, like when you land in the Shannon Airport in Ireland and that's what you have, perfect on point. Uh, but I guess uh, at the end of the day, I always go back to the creativity. It's when the bartender says, what do you like? And they build a cocktail off your flavor profile. That mm -hmm. impresses me. Yeah, for sure. Now we gotta, we gotta loop back. Irish coffee. Now, when, when I when I order a burger at a restaurant, I have certain I have certain things that I look for. Um, order, uh, you know, the 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 did if it if I ordered medium rare, did it come out medium rare? Is the cheese properly melted? Are the burger or the are the the tomato and lettuce placed in the right spot so that when I chew down, they don't squirt out on me? There are certain touch points that I look for for a great burger. Do you have certain similar touch points that you look for in a great Irish coffee? Yeah, there's uh, two do's uh, and two don'ts. Uh, the two do's is uh, a good Irish whiskey. Uh, Jameson's along those lines is good and a good quality coffee. All right. So not not the pot of coffee that's been sitting in, you know, on the back bar all night, just kind of reducing down. You want a good quality uh, whiskey and a good quality coffee. But the two don'ts is uh, number one, 
none of that canned whipped cream stuff doesn't work. <laughs> and the other do, uh, excuse me, the other don't is no green, uh, the menth, none of the green stuff on top. I just know. Uh, and you know, in Ireland and other great establishments, you use a nice small to medium dollop of fresh cream on top. Nothing better than that. You know, and it's, I know you're dealing with the cold up there, but that was a tough question for me. Cause I'm like, what's my, like, what's always been my go-to that you, like my wife knows I'm going to order at some point in time. And I was like, it's going to be an Irish coffee. Nice, nice. Well, uh, that's a perfect little mini crash course for our listeners who uh, who yeah. might uh, might not be familiar with the uh, the art and craft of the Irish coffee. So, <laughs> next question is: uh, there any product or trend in the spirits and cocktail world? Um, and since you you've got your uh, sommelier training, we can also extend this to wine as well, mm -hmm. wine and beer. Uh, but anything that's a trend or a product that you think is particularly underrated right now and, and, and people might want to pay more attention to? Mm, uh, I mean, the low hanging fruit there with me is always the wine world. Uh, but then we'll obviously talk a bit about the cocktail side. Uh, definitely pay attention to uh, Rioja. Uh, I think Rioja has some of the best values for ready to drink wine. Matter of fact, I just did a, a podcast with them recently. I think it's great. Uh, Argentina, uh, Malbec from Argentina, Mendoza, some great values where I love finding great values in wine because a lot of times things get so darn expensive. But I think on the cocktail side, and you've probably seen this a lot, a lot of the you know ready to drink uh, canned cocktails, we're going to see a new wave of better quality experiences. You know, a lot of our college students drink the, the hard seltzer, and there's nothing wrong with that. As I say, it's a great breakfast drink, but we're going to see this next wave of a better overall, you know, ready to drink cocktail in a can with better quality production and everything else that's going to be coming out because let's face it, our guests, our consumers now are smarter and they're almost in many cases demanding a better experience. Now they're willing to pay for it, right? But they want a better experience. So we're going to see that as the kind of next big wave. And I think also on the delivery, um, you know, Drizzly, these type of guys have made our lives a lot more convenient than before, but I think the next push in that area is going to be, the almost the demand for better quality. Uh, so delivery kits from garnishes to mixers, things that, you know, are, are not going to be the everyday, but it's going to create that better overall cocktail experience because as you and I both know, the home premise, you know, has just been going through the roof as far as people are now at home making their own cocktails, experimenting, cocktail parties via Zoom, all these things that are out there. So home premise is Definitely now the new 300-pound gorilla in the room that we got to watch. Uh, Off-premise, on-premise, great, but it's home-premise. That's what we got to be looking for. For sure, for sure. And uh, if you do end up uh, talking with anybody who's uh, planning on launching a ready-to-drink canned cocktail, uh, I can I can just share one of our findings because we, we I judged a, a, a number of RTDs on a panel at the uh, American Distilling Institute annual judging of craft spirits last year, and that was the first time that – RTDs were actually a category uh, in a in a major spirits judging competition, and our main finding, like the the thing that we dinged products on the most out of anything else, is if you're gonna put carbonation in your canned cocktail, it had better stay carbonated and it had better be high quality carbonation. Because if you're selling me an RTD gin and tonic, and I crack it open and in 30 seconds it's flat. Uh, I want to throw that at you. I, I don't, I don't want to drink it. So, so yeah, if there's, if there's going to be bubbles, you better invest in those bubbles and make sure they're good bubbles. So that for what it's worth. 
Yeah, I agree with you 100. percent So you're going to see a better wave because people want that experience, but they also want, to, and they're willing. As I said, they're willing to pay for it, but you got to give them a better product. Mm-hmm. Yep. Next question: uh, If you could have a cocktail with anybody in the world, past or present, who would it be? Where would you go? What would you talk about? Just paint us a picture. Oh my God! You know, this was the the the, the hardest question you gave me because your brain just starts kicking in, and I'm sure you've asked this before, and I hope you have. But I'm like, oh man, like Robin Williams would be great. I'm like, wait a minute, he didn't drink. And then of course, you know, in South Florida, I'm like Jimmy Buffett would be great because he's a multi billionaire from his brand. And my and I'm thinking of educators. Then I'm thinking of you know Sir Richard Branson. But one guy kept on coming back. Now, unfortunately, he's not with us anymore, uh, but Hunter S. Thompson would be my guy. Uh, A, obviously a fan uh, of his uh, works, but at the same time, how much fun would that be? You know, Hunter S. Thompson. And uh, the cocktail or place, let's go to the place first because that will paint the picture. Uh, I just think it'd be an amazing experience to go to Oaxaca, Mexico uh, with Hunter S. Thompson, uh, visit from the the, the largest to the biggest uh, mezcal producers, sip mezcal, uh, eat some amazing moles and other amazing food in that area, and listen to him tell stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if you think of, I, I don't know if you had a chance to ever travel to Oaxaca, but it's just like the, the, the mezcal and food capital of, of Mexico. And it's just all about the culture uh, that's there. But I'm like, what a character. Uh, it would be great to, just to wind the guy up and let him go and see if you can make it to the other side. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's, uh, that's probably one of our more ambitious answers because I don't know if I don't I just don't think I could keep up. But I think that I think that would be part of the fun. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so wrapping up here, uh, do you hold any uh, perhaps unusual or controversial views in the spirits and cocktail world, or since we're talking about um, hospitality, we can extend it to hospitality in general. Yeah. Um, you know, in hospitality in general, there's nothing really controversial, but it, it's people first, you know, in the hospitality space, it's how we make people feel. And sometimes we forget that. So by no means is that controversial, but it's a very, very true statement, you know, and if you always got to be on the guest side, and I'm quoting a little bit of Danny Meyer there, but, you know, we use his book in our classes and whatnot. And I think the Danny Meyer organization and Chip Wade do an amazing job, but always remember how you make people feel. But, you know, I did uh, put some thought to what you, you know, a conversation I had uh, with a bar manager friend last summer, and I was talking about um, basically low alcohol by volume uh, spirits that are coming out into the market where, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a fan of it. I'm like, I think it's great. There's a time and place. There's a strategy behind it. Thinking big picture. And my friend, uh, she would just not let me. She's like, no way. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, but I was like, no. And, you know, we're watching trends now. Uh, you know, there's certain companies out there that are doing a really good job marketing it properly, uh, preparing it properly, being very strategic of how they're using it in cocktails and on menus. So I think, and I'm going to you know, kind of, maybe some bartenders don't feel that, but I think the low alcohol by volume spirits that are going to be out there, low alcohol volume cocktails that'll be out there. There's a time and place for everything. And we can't just always uh, judge a bottle by its, uh, by its proof. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't well, know what your thoughts are on that. But. I, I don't know if I, I don't know if my thoughts have yet come to a rest uh, on it because there, uh, I believe there are a couple of low ABV gins that have just been released that uh, I'd, I'd be curious to sample. I'm not quite sure if they've been released in the U.S. yet. So, uh, you know, from a definition standpoint, I, I, I just my, my thoughts on on low ABV um, if it, if it's a, a particular like spirit as opposed to a cocktail, I, my only request is that we be clear about what it is. Like if it's, a, mm-hmm. if it's a, if it, you know, you can't have a low ABV rum, rum's gotta be 40% by volume. 
according to the TTB. So if it's less than 40%, I don't think we can call it rum anymore. So, you know, uh, again, uh, no problem with low ABV in general. Uh, Just, I just want, I, I like definitions to be clear because then you don't have to worry about marketing. You can just say, yeah. you know, or feeling like rather you are being marketed to and kind of having the wool pulled over your eyes. It's like, well, let's just be clear about it. And if you want that, great, we'll give it to you. You know, that's sort of yeah. what people in the hospitality business are are in the business of giving people what they want. So if you want that, you know, obviously our bars, restaurants and and hospitality venues want to be able to give that to you. And I think the the place to start is with clear definitions and and people knowing exactly what's in their glass. So um, amen to that. I think I'm 100% with you. Rum can't change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Brian, this has been fantastic, man. It's, it, it was great to, to, um, share your, your passion and enthusiasm and, and, uh, give our listeners a, a little taste of, um, what you've got going on here. So is there any way, um, that folks can reach out to you digitally if they want to learn more about Bar Project 2021? Yep. Uh, you mentioned a few times there'll be the, the websites, uh, on, there'll be in the show notes as well, but also feel free to reach out to me at bconnors, C-O-N-N-O-R-S at F-I-U E-D-U. And if you don't mind, just in the subject title, you can put podcast, you can put uh, um, modern bar, car, something so I know uh, that it's coming from here and then I can, I'll make sure to answer it. I do get a lot of emails, but again, uh, bconnors mm-hmm. at fiu.edu. I'm more than happy to answer any questions or point you in the right direction, anything you got going on down at FIU. Beautiful. Well, Brian, thanks so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed, hospitality insights courtesy of Professor Brian Connors, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2021.